Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. As we join you live from Washington with breaking news indeed on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. Another August day for the books here as the House moves with deliberate speed this afternoon in passing the $3.5 trillion budget resolution that will lead to reconciliation. And President Biden now standing by to address the nation as he stands by the timeline for evacuations out of Afghanistan we find the headline on the terminal, Biden keeps to Kabul August 31 deadline despite criticism. That means we are out a week from today. We're going to talk about it all ahead with Bloomberg's Washington Bureau Chief Craig Gordon. And specific to the operation in Kabul, we'll be joined this hour by retired Army Lieutenant General Robert Ashley, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. The panel with us, too. Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis with us for the hour. And we will bring you the president's remarks. We're, we're told that they are gathering in the East Room at the White House to hear from the president. We'll bring you his remarks as they happen live. We already heard from Jen Psaki on this as we keep our eyes on what is happening here in Afghanistan. The White House press secretary briefed a short time ago on the effort to get Americans to the airport in Kabul. We are reaching out via phone, via text, via email, any way we can. And we're giving them instructions on how to get to the airport, when to come to the airport. Uh, We have an entire apparatus and operation set up on the ground. We're advertising. And this is a 24-7 operation of reaching out to these individuals. A 24-7 operation with one week to go. And as I mentioned, we bring in Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News Washington Bureau Chief who's covered the White House for many years and, in fact, traveled to Afghanistan as a journalist. It's great to have you uh, on this particular moment, Craig. What is it the president needs to say today? Is it about convincing Americans that we only have a week to get this done? Or is he speaking as well to audiences in Europe following today's virtual G7? Yeah, I think really uh, the American people probably would be fine staying a little past August 31st. They're really, you know, American voters don't really care about foreign policy until they do. Hmm. And then they care about it quite a lot because right now it does look a little bit like Joe Biden's turning tail and and, uh, and running out of Afghanistan. We heard the Taliban come out today and say you need to be gone by August 31st. So while I think his message is we will be gone by August, August 31st, we're going to get out of every person we can between now and then. I, I personally think if they stayed another week, Taliban would probably be okay with that. We'd get more Americans and some of our Afghan partners out of there and, and, and probably leave the country behind for good. But he he they really did not handle this well in terms of having a plan for getting tens of thousands of Americans and, again, Afghans who put their lives on the line to help the American cause in Afghanistan. And, and he's kind of paying the price for that today. A direct address from the president on the two breaking issues of the day, in fact, opened with infrastructure, and then, as you just heard, live moved on to Afghanistan. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg Sound On, live from Washington, and we're joined still by Bloomberg News Washington Bureau Chief Craig Gordon. Uh, Interesting the way he handled that there. Clearly, Craig speaking to a domestic audience. We waited around the better part of four hours to hear from the president on Afghanistan, and about the first half of that speech was about what he sees as a big win on infrastructure. 
Yeah, and it was a big win on infrastructure. They, you know, this was the the heart of his economic agenda. This is what Joe Biden ran on for two years to become the president of the United States was a what he calls build back better. This uh, what will end up being something like five trillion dollars uh, in infrastructure spending and infrastructure using the term broadly, childcare, healthcare, elder care, fixing lead pipes in homes, a variety, you know, pre K, variety of different programs. That is what got Joe Biden into the White House. That is what the American people want him to do. Maybe not quite at that level, um, as some of the moderates in his own party would say. But that really is what he wants to come out and tell everyone about, like, hey, we, we, we did the thing I promised we would do. Uh, but funny thing, when you're president, um, wars tend to get in the way sometimes. Well, they do. And that can be kind of a, uh, an awkward transition when you're going from, you know, celebrating the passage of a bill that's not even there yet or hasn't been written yet to dealing with matters of life and death. But he did make news there, uh, Craig. We, we, the headlines we saw earlier was that Joe Biden would stand by evacuation by the end of the month. One week from today, he says he has asked for contingency plans to adjust the timetable uh, should it become necessary. So clearly we've still got some flexibility here. Yeah, and he put the Taliban on notice that if the United States has to stay past August 31st, he will blame them. Um, not that they probably care that much about that, but that was very much the little escape hatch he built for himself there. He said, our ability to meet the August 31st deadline requires the Taliban to continue allowing you know, the United States to get folks out of the airport if they get in the way, if they stop us, if they slow us down. Well, we might have to hang around a little bit, and I've, I've asked the generals for some, some plans on that. He also introduced a new group to the American lexicon, ISIS-K. I'll yeah. admit I'd never heard of ISIS-K before, um, uh, describing them as a group that, you know, hates the Taliban and us almost equally. So, um, you know, there you go. He did want to put, I think what Joe Biden is worried about is that every minute, literally every minute the United States stays in Afghanistan longer, you could have some kind of a terror attack, a, a, a truck bomb, a car bomb, uh, them mowing down a bunch of soldiers, you know, American lives lost as they tried to, you know, carry out this essentially humanitarian mission of getting getting these folks out of there. You know, so far, Biden's taken a hit in the polls for Afghanistan. There are some dead Americans in Afghanistan. That gets a lot worse for him. I'm sure he's counting the minutes until the U.S. troops and, and uh, allies yeah. can get out of there. Great talk with Craig Gordon, Bloomberg, Washington bureau chief, who we try to save for the big days. And this certainly is one. Thank you, Craig. As we bring in now retired Army Lieutenant General Robert Ashley, another voice of credibility on this story, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. General, it's great to have you with us today on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. What did you make of the language we heard from President Biden there telling the American people that essentially we want to get out in a week, but we may have to stay longer if we need to? No, I mean, I thought that was a message you needed to deliver. Uh, clearly, um, you know, what the Defense Department is looking at is branches and sequels. And if they still have numbers that they need to meet after the 31st, they'll be in a position to be able to do that. So that part's encouraging. It's encouraging that we're talking to our allies and partners, which is always, uh, always important. Interesting to hear the president essentially put this on the Taliban. Uh, he says, look, we all stand united in our approach to the Taliban and completion depends on the cooperation of the Taliban. I can't imagine uh, the conversation that was had, according to the Washington Post, by the director of the CIA, between the CIA director and the de facto head of the Taliban. Are, are we already laying out the consequences if they get in the way of this evacuation? I, I can't speak for the CIA director, but I imagine that he was not equivocating in laying down some certain uh, terms in, with regards to any um, kind of lethal actions that the Taliban might be taking. But, you yeah. know, clearly 
Uh, that conversation was, I would, would imagine, relatively directed in nature, uh, but also listening to what the Taliban had to say. So it's good that they're having that dialogue uh, and they can work out some of the details of what needs to take place. Uh, should we be past the 31st or should the Taliban try to uh, preclude the movement of Americans? Well, General, I'm trying to figure out what's worse, what, what, the, what the greater risk would be, staying or leaving. The president says it is a tenuous situation around the airport and, quote, we run a serious risk of it breaking down as time goes by, unquote, as opposed to staying there longer and potentially getting into another hot war with the Taliban. Which do you pick, General? You know, there's always the opportunity for um, an escalating event that would take place, you know, free and cruise patrols, and we were out in the, you know, out in the, in the populous area. So there's always the possibility something like that could escalate, and I don't think uh, either side, neither the U.S. nor the Taliban, wants to see that happen. Yeah. So to the degree that they can come up with some system by which, you know, they can get Americans identified and remember the airport, uh, that looks like it may become a little more problematic uh, with some of the overtures from the Taliban saying that they don't want the Afghans to leave. I think you saw some of the discussion today that whether there's engineers or other uh, human capital, right, intellectual capital of Afghanistan, they don't want to see leave. But part of the challenge with the with the U.S. citizens is not everybody has to register. You know, we'd like them to register when they come in and uh, in the country, in the embassy. And so some of those that are going to be in some very outlying areas may not have the means to communicate. Uh, so I imagine that even though the, the bulk of the numbers that they may be aware of, I'm not sure exactly how the State Department is tracking that, um, there's still going to be small numbers, I would imagine, trickling in, even if we hit what we know by 31 August. We're talking on Bloomberg Sound On with retired Army Lieutenant General Robert Ashley, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. If you're just joining us, we just heard from President Biden on the situation in Afghanistan as he speaks here in this case to the mission to evacuate the thousands who are waiting to leave Kabul airport. We are currently on a pace to finish by August the 31st. The sooner we can finish, the better. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops. But the completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate and allow access to the airport for those who were were transporting out and no disruptions to our operations. General, we have largely focused on those people, in many cases civilians, who are trying to get out. But I wonder what your thoughts are right now about the five to 6,000 American troops who are there not only with the possibility of a terror attack or something awful happening, but the the miserable conditions that they're serving in right now, the skirmishes that are breaking out that a lot of us may never hear about. You know, that's what they signed up for. Um, You know, you've got the 82nd, you've got Marines uh, on station and others. Uh, Matter of fact, where I'm sitting right now, I'm 90 minutes from Fort Bragg. That was my first duty assignment. And I can tell you that I've gone through, and many of those paratroopers, uh, far worse conditions than what are taking place at the airport right now. So they're fine. And really, that is what they signed up for. Um, and they're executing the mission, and they're doing it with great professionalism. What does that mean, then, uh, for the week ahead uh, for these troops? Do you want to see them out in a week? Or, as you said, this is what they sign up for? They'll stay as long as they need to? I mean, I think they need to, you know, clearly that's a policy decision. So that will be for the, the National Command Authority. Um, but clearly, I would imagine every paratrooper 
that is in Kabul right now would want to see the mission come to fruition where we get all the Americans that need to be evacuated out. We're talking with retired Lieutenant General Robert Ashley about the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. If we can get back to the president's address, he was speaking from the White House, first took a swing on infrastructure and then got into the situation involving Afghanistan and, in this case, the timeline. I've asked the Pentagon and the State Department for contingency plans to adjust the timetable should that become necessary. I'm determined to ensure that we complete our mission, this mission. General, that's been the story today, the timeline, and we've been talking about it here in this case. Is that going to be up to Joe Biden as we keep hearing from the White House, or will that be up to the Taliban then? Well, I think that timeline uh, for what happens with U.S. forces is, you know, the president's decision. Um, We have clearly have the military capability to sustain an effort on the ground uh, and to ramp that up again in whether this where the CENTCOM commander's recommendations are contingency plans he's working. I think that is up to the president uh, when he decides that it's time for us to leave. In terms of uh, the the time to leave, do you have a sense, General, of how long it takes to get the troops out? We know that it will take at least the next week to get civilians out, but if if you're in charge of this operation on the ground, five to 6,000 people, they need to start packing up pretty soon, too. Yeah, I'm not sure the timeline to get them all out. I'm sure CENTCOM is looking at that, and they're working the airflows. Uh, you can see the capacity that has been added over the course of the last couple of days. I think the numbers that we heard uh, going into the briefing was – uh, I think it was 21,000 over the last 24 hours. So yeah. the capacity has significantly increased. And when it comes time for uh, for those soldiers to collapse or prepare to leave, um, I think that probably would be one of the easier tasks they have to accomplish. There was a lot of talk, if, if we can speak broadly for a moment, about this over-the-horizon approach uh, that we are taking now, that the U.S. is taking towards fighting terrorism. The idea is we don't need to be on the ground in countries like Afghanistan in that we can respond to them uh, as needed. Is, is that a realistic view in, in your opinion, General? And how exactly would we do that? Would we have new staging areas throughout the Middle East or do we already have the platform we need for that? Yeah, I think when you look at over the horizon, I think you have some kind of a surge capability to deal with a significant issue, but it's got it's to be a layered approach. So when you think about collecting intelligence and what we've been able to do over the last 20 years. We've had networks on the ground. We've had soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, um, civilians on the ground. So if I were looking at kind of the intelligence problem that's coming, you know, that that we're facing right now, it's how do I rebuild those networks? How do I rebuild the networks on the ground? How do I build my situational awareness? And that's not just, you know, a U.S. problem. That is a coalition and ally problem. And so that's really kind of where my focus would be is not only you're going to have uh, an ability and it will take some time to come from over the horizon, but you needed indications and warning capability uh, that something is about to happen. And so part of that is building that indigenous network back on the ground, which I imagine, you know, I've I've been removed from it for some time, but is, is relatively fractured at this point. How worried should we be about this group ISIS-K that has been mentioned a few times lately? So ISIS-K is hardcore ISIS. Um, They don't really, you know, my understanding right now is there's not really a capability to launch an external attack. Uh, The challenge with this, as with al-Qaeda, 
is if the pressure is no longer put upon these organizations, then they have the opportunity over time to build back their networks. And so that would be my biggest concern. And so when I think about that indications and warning, that ground source network, that's really what I want to be able to watch is ISIS-K's intentions, their capabilities, and how they're trying to rebuild that network. Do you have opinions on, on the Taliban's intentions and capabilities? Nobody seems to know what to make of this group of people claiming to be some sort of new Taliban, but they're running around Afghanistan with trucks and, and armored vehicles and weapons that we left behind. I think one of the challenges is, you know, we, we've thought about what it meant to try to have a centralized Afghan government when, in fact, an Afghan government, is, even under the Taliban, has not had that full um, reach so you're going to have a challenge on behalf of the Taliban to be able to reach out to all the distant areas, Nuristan, Helmand, uh, Kandahar, to be able to put whatever policies that they want to put in place. So I think that in itself is going to be a challenge. But, you know, the fabric of Afghanistan, I've heard the numbers anywhere from 15 to 20 different disparate, you know, kinds of terrorist organizations. Clearly the ones that we're most concerned about are Al-Qaeda and ISIS-K, and in this case, being uh, the Khorasan province uh, in eastern Afghanistan. Understood. Fascinating conversation with retired Lieutenant General Robert Ashley, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. We thank you, General, for bringing some insights here today on Bloomberg Radio as we digest what we heard live from President Biden. This has turned into a special edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you're with us on Bloomberg Sound On. For Tuesday, I was almost going to say Wednesday because we packed in that much so far. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we want to bring in the panel to talk about the events that we've heard and seen in Afghanistan and also talk more about what happened today on Capitol Hill. Both would be lead stories on any other day of the week, and we're joined by Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. We heard this hour live from the president. We heard from the general as well and from Craig Gordon helping us understand all of this. Rick, I'd like to start with you on Afghanistan, as President Biden was reportedly holding to the August 31st deadline. That was the big uh, question mark all day today as he met with the G7 virtually, but then told the American people that he's asked for contingency plans to adjust that timetable. Does it sound like we're getting out in a week? Well, I think there are two things. There's an external uh, message that he sent that you described, which is we're sticking to August 31st. And and he was able to get uh, the G7 to, to correspond to that. You know, there's no seemingly outlier in that. Uh, so getting unity there was no easy task. Yeah. Uh, but look, it's easy then to say in, internally, uh, we're going to have contingency plans in case something goes wrong. I thought the artful statecraft that he used today was to actually lay that deadline onto the Taliban, right? And if the Taliban just lets us do our job, we're eminently very professional at what we do, and we've ramped up our capacity to move people out of that country. Uh, if they get in our way, well, that's the only reason why we would stay past August 31st. And I thought that was actually a good device to use to rally global support around trying to get everybody out of there by the August 31st. Whether the Taliban cooperate with him, whether the Taliban allow uh, uh, Afghan nationals to leave the country, I mean, there are a lot of ifs. And to some degree, uh, President Joe Biden is placing his presidency between now and August 31st in the hands of the Taliban, and that's a risky proposition. Jeannie, completion depends on the cooperation of the Taliban. As Rick is pointing out, the line from the president that got a lot of people's attention today, what, what was he trying to do there? Is that, is that an excuse in case things don't work out by the 31st? 
Yes, I, I mean, and I, I think he, he is smart to say that he still intends to stick to his deadline. Um, but if he needs to stay, if we need to stay, he we will complete the task, and, and, and we should. And, um, you know, if that happens, the fault lies with the Taliban. Um, you know, I think that was important for him to say. I think it was important that he talked to the allies. I also think it's critical what he's saying about the amount of risk that is there, and, and you just were talking about ISIS-K. And while all of this was going on today, of course, the Taliban blocked the road to the airport for Af for for Afghanis saying that foreigners can still leave but people from Afghanistan cannot and they are not being guaranteed safe passage and that is really really foreboding news for Afghan allies who worked with us and their fate is critical that that we address it and I wanted to hear more from the president on that and I didn't feel like we heard enough on that yeah, it's a scary uh, idea here, Rick, especially if it involves Americans going back into Afghanistan to try to evacuate people. We've heard that uh, repeatedly from the Pentagon, uh, from John Kirby as recently as today, that we're prepared, and Jake Sullivan yesterday, to continue evacuating people after the military leaves. W what does that look like? Well, I'm sure the contingency plans that the Defense Department uh, will put together will outline different ways to do it. We know that they're flying helicopters That's outside right. of the uh, uh, airport area to uh, gather up Americans and other uh, uh, special uh, visa holders to get them out of the country directly through helicopters. So I imagine there's a lot of tradecraft that will be employed to try and find people who might not be able to get to uh, Kabul to get out uh, through the normal evacuation process. So uh, I think we can rely on the professionalism of our intelligence community, the State Department and the military to do the best they can. And, and whether or not that continues on post August 31st from areas outside of the Kabul airport, uh, we may or may never know. But uh, my guess is that'll all be a part of the package of contingency plans that the military will give to the president. President mentioned those settling in the U.S. will have undergone a background check, which I thought was significant, uh, Jeannie, having seen the statement from Donald Trump today, uh, accusing of Joe Biden of allowing in potential terrorists with no vetting. Uh, is that going to become the next controversy when we start hearing from local communities where refugees are settling? This is the message we've been hearing for the last week, particularly from the right and, and the Trumpian wing of the Republican Party. And it's an absolutely shameful message. We do need to have assurance that people are, are vetted properly. The government is engaged in that. But I think there is a promising sign the number of Americans who have tried to figure out how they can help people who are coming to the country from Afghanistan, whether through donations, through goods, through services and other ways. We've heard about that from around the country and right we should. But the argument that we are, you know, this, this isn't, the process is not secure and we are letting in, um, you know, terrorists is, is something similar to what we heard Donald Trump say during his 2016 walk down the uh, the elevator in Trump Tower mm -hmm. to announce uh, his president presidential run as he spoke about uh, people from the southern border. And it's a shameful argument to be making at this point. New Jersey and Texas, uh, Rick, the bases at least that have so far been identified. John Kirby says there could be others. There likely will be others added as, as we find new homes uh, for people who are in many cases our allies in a time of war. Should, should we have uh, veterans out talking about the contributions they made? 
Yeah, I think that, uh, unfortunately, leave it to Donald Trump to try and politicize uh, a humanitarian rescue operation like this with our allies. But um, um, I'd kind of forgotten about those days. Uh, uh, but look, I mean, there are dozens of governors who've already announced that they are welcoming uh, refugees from uh, Afghanistan. Uh, I think you'll see an outpouring of popular support. Uh, these are people who uh, families gave their lives uh, to promote the kind of uh, world that we all want to live in. And, and we owe them our, our gratitude and our, our loyalty. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, House adopts $3.5 trillion budget blueprint backed by Biden. So who blinked? I don't think it was Nancy Pelosi. After a group of 10 moderate Democrats we talked about tried to block passage until there was a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure plan, well, they're heading home tonight with a promise that the hard infrastructure bill will get a vote by the end of next month. That's when the current transportation funding runs out. And we spend the rest of this hour with the classic panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis with us. Jeannie, uh, maybe no one blinked then? Did everyone get what they wanted? I, you know, I, I think that it was like a really small change in language that seemed to pull those moderates over to Nancy Pelosi's side. And I, I have to say, this is an enormous victory, as the president said in his remarks, for Nancy Pelosi, for the leadership on the Democratic side in the House to pull this through. Granted, it's not the bill yet, but it yeah. is a, you know, a, as you just mentioned, it's a blueprint for an enormous historic change potentially in the way our country does its business. And Nancy Pelosi is almost single-handedly with her team responsible for that. But it is this small change in language saying that they shall consider the bipartisan bill on or before September 27th that got the moderates on board. There's still a long way to go, as we always say. It's going to be another month and a half or so of infrastructure, if not more. Yeah, but it does right. look like it's, it's a major victory at this point for the Democrats in the House. Rick, we were talking around this time yesterday about the family meeting, if we can call it that, the caucus meeting, the closed-door meeting in which leadership was going to face off with these moderates and get something done. Apparently, things got pretty dramatic. Tempers flared, F-bombs were thrown around. <laughs> progressives, angry at moderates, but this all came out in the wash today. Everybody had a chance to sleep on it. Did, did the moderates blink? Well, I think everybody basically gave something to the greater cause of the future of the Democratic Party in the midterms. <laughs> and so hmm. I think that uh, at the end of all the squealing last night, and I'll try to keep it as a uh, family-oriented <laughs> audience, um, is, is that uh, Nancy Pelosi came up with a way of doing nothing and getting everything. You know, by holding a roll call vote today, she actually never took a direct vote on the uh, on the budget resolution, That's but right. deemed it passed by virtue of other things they were doing that morning. So, 
Uh, I would say this is what drives civics professors in every high school in America crazy because <laughs> they can't actually describe what happened today in any uh, way other than there's blue smoke and mirrors in Washington, D.C. this morning, and when it clears, we're going to find out what actually happened. But you're right. I mean, they did cut a deal with the moderates. They did blink. Uh, they're going to get their vote you know, before the 27th. But we've always see, already seen cracks in the armor. AOC and her, some of her folks said, well, that, we're only going to agree to that if we've actually made progress in the Senate uh, on our uh, budget resolution and reconciliation. So uh, th I think there's a lot of pressure in the system to do something and get over last night's uh, bitch session. But the reality is they got a long way to go before the end of this next month. And that doesn't even count for the looming crisis with the continuing resolution to fund the government and the debt ceiling. And all these things combined, there's not going to be a, a good night's sleep for Nancy Pelosi yeah. for some time. It sure doesn't sound like it. And, and the irony, Jeannie, was not lost on me to hear that Nancy Pelosi was proposing something called a self-executing rule on the same evening that Steny Hoyer was referring to mutually assured destruction. But we have uh, we've come back from the precipice, I guess, here. Uh, then again, as as Rick is pointing out and you already suggested, Jeannie, the hard part begins now. What is going to go into three and a half trillion dollars? The House's ideas on that are going to be different as well than the Senate's. That's right. And and we are momentarily off the precipice. We could get right back there, that's you know, true. just moments away. Um, you know, it, that's the big question. You know, what is going to be in this? Some of it is obvious. Some of it is not so obvious. And of course, the big question, how do you pay for it? And then do we see this continuing fight that fight that Rick was just alluding to? We've heard comments from Ilhan Omar and other progressives. We've heard comments from moderates. We've got the Senate Democrats, Kristen Sinema, saying she won't support 3.5. I mean, just imagine what happens if this bill gets whittled down to, you know, half of its current size. Do the progressives in the House then walk away and kill both of these bills? You know, there is a lot here. Nancy Pelosi is the person to push this through if anybody can, but there is a lot here. But another big thing looming over this, of course, is 2022. Huh. The, you know, the Democrats have a very, very big chance of losing the House. And I think a big question is, if they push this through something this big, do they lose those purple districts that they need to win that those moderates are fighting for? I think that's still a big, big challenge for Democrats. Well, if, if we can get a little more specific about what might go in this and, and what, what might not, and, and we've got to keep not just this debate in the House in mind, the balance of progressive and moderate priorities, but also what the Senate parliamentarian will end up allowing in a reconciliation bill. We've talked we've talked about expanding child care, we've or money for child care in many cases from scratch, expanding Medicare benefits to include uh, uh, ear, nose, throat. We have talked about even immigration reform. We've talked about uh, pre-kindergarten, universal pre-K, and free. Uh, community college. How about we just stop there for a moment? Rick, how many of those actually end up in the bill? Well, I think it's going to depend upon the money game. And I think uh, uh, Jeannie was right in that they got to figure out how much of this they're going to be able to pay for. And it's going to go through the wash in the Senate. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, things like uh, making the child tax credit permanent are, is hugely expensive. And so Democrats are going to have to make choices. And, and, and frankly, when you cost all these things out that they're talking about, you're probably blowing past the $3.5 
And that doesn't even account for the infrastructure bill at another almost you know, trillion two. And, and so at some point, the, the effort to be able to raise revenue for these things, taxes on corporations, taxes on wealthy individuals, uh, aren't going to be able to deliver the revenue that the Democrats need to even do this through a reconciliation uh, model. So, so there are going to be choices made, and I think that they're going to find out real quick even though they think these are really popular, uh, when they can't get them done because of the costs are so extreme and they can't find the revenue for them, how many voters are gonna be disappointed that they couldn't deliver what they're now promising? It's easy to promise all these things today until you actually have to pay for them and then all of a sudden things get on the cutting room floor. How about that laundry list I rolled out, Jeannie? Which of these are good politics? Which of these you could see ending up in the bill having Democrats actually embrace from, I, I won't say both sides of the aisle, but well, both sides of the Democratic spectrum. You know, I think things like universal pre-K, free community college, as example, the green aspects of this thing, expansion of Medicare, those things are popular. I think other things may get stripped, and you mentioned one of the big ones, like immigration, that may be stripped by the parliamentarian. It may not even yeah. be stripped by, you know, the, the more moderate wing. But, you know, you look at what the blueprint that the Senate is working with in these committees and the amount of money at their disposal. It's a, such a strange way when you try to explain it to students to make a budget that here's money and now you figure out how to spend it. Whereas most of us say, oh, I need to do something. How much money does it cost? Do I have the money? It's completely backwards in Congress. And that's what frustrates a lot of people. And I would also watch out for these deals. I mean, this is such a big amount of money. We're going to see deals made to keep people on board. The press are going to be all over that. And that can be a black mark for the D D Democratic Party as well. They've got to be very careful about how that rolls out. We've already seen the, the SALT example, and there's many more where that comes from. Insights from Jeannie and Rick on a special edition of Bloomberg Sound On. We only have a couple of minutes left. Let's get back to where we started here for, for both of you with regard to Afghanistan. Rick, what are you going to be watching in the next 24 to 48 hours as we get closer to this deadline in Afghanistan? Is it the threat of violence or is it something I'm not thinking of? You know, I think that uh, the threat of violence is 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 always uh, relevant there. But I, I'd watch the Taliban. I mean, they have an opportunity to try to redefine their image. They've obviously gotten a good PR person to say, hey, we can't be like the uh, the barbarians that we were last time around when we ruled this country. And yet they have a big test ahead of them. We've been talking about Joe Biden, but boy, pressures on the Taliban. Uh, if they look like uh, they're adding to the chaos or uh, mistreating people, it's going to be a blemish that they may never get over. Jeannie, there's, uh, there's a moment that I want to share with our listeners before we go, but what are you watching in Afghanistan the next day or two? Among other things, I'm watching how China continues to try to exploit our pulling out and our, our treatment of our Afghan allies. They've already been saying this as it pertains to Taiwan. I think we're going to hear more of this, and this can be incredibly dangerous for the United States going forward. Boy, we've got a lot to talk about here. How about John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman? Been listening to his briefings, watching him every day. Uh, since this began, former State House, uh, State House, State Department spokesman and former Pentagon spokesman in a different administration. He's been the one interfacing with reporters on this for the most part, and he brought a story to the podium today that I thought everybody should hear. We talked about a lot 
a lot of the awful things that have been happening around the airport and with regard to the evacuations. Have you heard, though, that three new lives have started? Three babies born. Here's John Kirby today at the Pentagon. Uh, just to clarify, one was born on the C-17. That's the one I think you guys know about. The other two were born shortly after arrival in, at Ramstein in the, the Longstool uh, uh, hospital there on base. So two were born at the uh, in, in the hospital shortly after arrival. I am told that uh, moms and dads and babies are all fine and healthy and uh, all is looking good there. Welcome to the world in heady times. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.